Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Glad to have you here. Hope you're staying warm. We're going to see how uh, far we can make it into October. Uh, so next Sunday might be our last outside, but uh, we'll see what the weather looks like and see how far we can go. So, uh, so dress warmly, bring a blanket. Glad to be together. It's so sweet to, in this time of social isolation to be together to worship God. Um, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm uh, the lead pastor here. And uh, I just want to welcome you if you are guests. We're so glad you're with us. We pray God would bless you as you worship uh, with us. Please let us know how we can help you wherever you might be uh, in your journey. Um, you might be a believer looking for a church. You might be someone who's just curious or looking to reboot uh, your Christian faith. And we think this is a great place to do that. Um, it's, we're like a family. We're pretty uh, low-key, down-to-earth and open. So any questions you have, just ask away um, because we want to be helpful to you. We are in a series in First John, and by the way, the, the books are in. So we have these journals that are uh, complimentary for you to enjoy uh, and to build a library of sermon notes. There's a box right here if you haven't got one yet. Um, and just come on up and grab one so you can take notes today. Um, and we'll continue in the, the book of First John together. We are in chapter 1. Verse 5, so you can be turning there on your uh, sheet, the verse is listed out, but it's even better to have a Bible um, in, open in front of you so you can follow along and you can move around as well if, if we look at other verses. Um, the goal there, of course, is just, is just getting used to using our Bible, this wonderful gift that we have from God. Well, to start us out, uh, let me tell you a story related to this text. There's a story I, I found on the website TV Tropes and verified the story. It's always important to verify what you find on the internet. Um, and this is the story. On Monday, the 27th of January, 1986, late at night, aerospace engineer Roger Bougelet told his bosses at Morton Thiokol that the solid rocket boosters they built for the space shuttle were not capable of withstanding cold weather on launch day. And he warned that the mission, STS-51L, needed warmer weather to launch or else the shuttle stack would be blown to pieces. As a result, Morton Thiokol recommended to NASA that the flight be postponed, but NASA countered that schoolteacher Krista McAuliffe was scheduled to give her students a lesson from outer space that Friday, and that President Reagan was to mention that fact in the State of the Union on the next day, Tuesday. Well, 13 hours after Beaujolais' warning, 73 seconds after lifting off from the launch pad at Kennedy Space Center, Center, the starboard solid rocket booster propelling Space Shuttle Challenger on STS-5111 malfunctioned, triggering an explosion that tore the orbiter apart. Two and a half minutes later, the crew compartment impacted the waters of the Atlantic Ocean, killing any crew that may have survived the initial explosion. I'm sure many of us recall the destruction of the Space Shuttle Challenger. Boujolais ended up resigning from Morton Thiokol because of the pressure that he faced from the stance he took. Yet he was granted an award for scientific freedom and responsibility by the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Ro Roger Boujolais was a whistleblower. And the reality is, too often, that we don't tend to like whistleblowers. They point out problems we don't want to hear. But those problems can be catastrophic, like the O-rings on the Challenger. 
And in our passage today, the Apostle John is a whistleblower. And he's exposing a real problem that we don't like to hear about. But this problem will be catastrophic should we not address it. So we're going to dig in um, because the Apostle John is, has written this to help people and through him, God has written this to help us. That we might be exposed in our need and run to the answer that God has. So let's pray and ask him to help us. To help us to listen because the reality is we don't like for the whistle to be blown on us. So that God would give us grace to listen and He would give us power to respond. So Lord, we pray You'd help us as we look at Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that You are for us and even exposing our problems. I pray You'd give us humble hearts to hear from You. And I pray, Lord God, you give us power to respond. And I pray You'd help me to, to, to rightly proclaim and teach Your Word today. That we would hear from You and You would be exalted, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship him, with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God's Word from 1 John 1 and 2. We're going to dig into this passage, and the main lesson that we learn here is that truly knowing God allows us to face and fix the problems of sin. Truly knowing God allows us to face and fix the problem of sin. So I just want to talk about that sentence in three parts. Truly knowing God, facing sin, and fixing sin. These are the things that I believe that John talks about. He does it in a unique way. He, he has a structure of if-then sort of statements. And he goes from positive, negative to positive ones as he goes back and forth. But all in all, he is teaching us that if we truly know God, we can face and fix the problem of sin. So first, truly knowing God. John starts this section by saying, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The message that he wants them to hear the message that is the power uh, behind fellowship with God and with one another is this, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So we need to understand really, if we're going to understand the problem of sin, we have to understand who God is and what does it mean to know God. Because sin is basically uh, anything opposed to God and his goodness. 
And so John says that God is light. What does that mean, God is light? What, what, is it a metaphor? Is it literal? How do we figure that out? How do we handle a statement like that in Scripture? Well, when you look at the word, it's always good to see how that phrase or that word is used elsewhere by the same author. So we can look at the writings of John. And, and then uh, when you do that, you can also look uh, at other writings in Scripture because Scripture ultimately is all written by one author, capital A, God himself. And he's consistent. Um, and so we, when we want to answer a question like, what does this mean? Always good to ask of the text, what does this mean? What does it mean God is light? Not just assume that you know, but say, what does it mean? So we can explore by looking at John's writing. And he actually uses this, this idea often for uh, John 1. In him was life, speaking of Jesus. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 3, it says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And then in 1 John, later on, chapter 2, he says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So as we look through that, we see two things. We see light associated with giving life. And John uses life a lot, and eternal life. Life is, is this experience of living in relationship with God and one another in a way that we were meant to live. So light brings life. And then the other aspect is we see that light is contrasted with darkness, and it's a moral issue. Darkness is about evil. Lightness is about good. So we can maybe say it this way, that light is a metaphor for life-giving truth and goodness. So it's a metaphor. It's something that it's a picture of. Now, of course, there is an aspect where God uh, is associated with physical light. We see that elsewhere in Scripture. He dwells in unapproachable light. And in Revelation 22, he lights up the city of God physically as well as spiritually. But John's use here is, is mainly a metaphor, a picture of, of, a, of something. God is light. Now notice that it doesn't say God possesses light or God emanates light. Right? It's not a quality that he somehow emits. It is a quality of his essence. God is light. It's, it's at the core of who he is. God is light. God is truth and goodness. And life, true life, the life that is true life. This is who he is. It, it is at the core of his being. God is light. That's so important to get. He is light. This is who he is. Um, he is this without compromise, John tells us. And in him, there is no darkness at all. That word uh, is even stronger than at all. It's like no way, never. There's no darkness, not even a hint, not even a shade, not even a leaning away from all that is true and good and glorious. He is perfect and consistent in who He is. And that's so important to understand. This is who God is. He is light. And darkness is the opposite. Darkness is, is life-killing falsehood and evil. Light is life-giving truth and goodness. And in God there is no darkness at all. So we need to understand this about God. His, his glory and goodness and truth in every way. We learn elsewhere in the passage what God is like. 
we can move ahead to verse 9. And it speaks about God being faithful and just. And we'll get to the context there of being faithful and just is related to His forgiving us and cleansing us. But we need to understand that the forgiving and cleansing is, is the result of His faithfulness and justice. And His faithfulness and justice is at the core of who He is. He doesn't forgive because He just like, it, I guess i got to do that thing and therefore I'll be faithful and just. He is, is faithful and just, therefore He does forgive and He does cleanse us. He's faithful. He's consistent. He doesn't change. He doesn't change His commitment to truth. He doesn't change His commitment to His promises. He doesn't change His commitment to His covenant, this solemn arrangement with His people. He is faithful. And in His covenant, He provides for forgiveness. We'll get into that as we go. And therefore, He is consistent in that provision. He is faithful. He doesn't say, oh, well, I, I changed my mind. I'm not going to forgive you now. He, he doesn't change His mind. He's always this gracious God. And so, in the, we've seen in Exodus, right? When we were going through and Moses says, Lord, show me Your glory. What does God say to him? He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He's faithful to forgive. This is who He is. His glory is to be faithful to His covenant, to be merciful and to forgive us. He's faithful and just as well. Now, just is a word um, that we may not always understand. In the Bible, actually, the word for just and right are the same. The word for righteousness and being just are the same. They're, they're the same in English. We use them differently. Um, and often as you read a translation, it will use just or righteous. It's the same word in the original. And they go together. It's the idea of right, being right. Um, right in who you are, doing the right thing, being the right person. Practicing the right things. Treating people rightly. That's what it's talking about. So God is just. He is always right in what He does and who he, uh, who he is. He is righteous. He is just. And He acts justly. He acts righteously in every arena. Anything that goes on, He always must respond in perfect rightness. Perfect justice. So He, when there's good done, He brings reward. When there's evil done, He brings recompense and punishment. He can't help but respond that way. It's who He is. And, and, and that's fundamental to Him. He's unchanging in this. Now, how does it relate to forgiveness? Because as I say that, you're probably thinking, well, if He's just and He has to bring punishment for evil, then that means I'm in trouble. That means there's no forgiveness, right? Um, well, there are other qualities to the, who the Lord is. He's faithful in His love for His people. He's loved us from before time amazing. We don't understand why, because we've not earned it, but He's loved us from before time. He's set His affection on us. He loves us really infinitely, because He loves us as much as He loves the Son. The Father loves the Son, because the Son is given for us. We know that He loves us that much. And because He loves us, He must do something about the problem of justice, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says in Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all failed to do the right thing. To do the right thing in how we obey God, believe Him and obey Him and love Him. Do the right thing in how we treat each other. We've all failed. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so God, in that, must respond 
must respond with justice, must respond with, with the right appropriate recompense. And that is to be cut off from relationship with God and to live cut off from Him forever, apart from His presence and all His glory in utter darkness and isolation. That's what hell is about. It's God's just response. And it, it starts the, the moment we sin because He must respond. We are cut off from the Lord in our sin. That's justice. And if that's all there is, we're in trouble. But it goes on to say in, in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. We're going to see that in a moment. To be received by faith. This is to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. So what, what Paul in Romans 3 is saying, that, that God had passed over former sins. The ones uh, that He's loved... He hadn't dealt with their sin yet. And so there had to be a way for him to deal with his sin. And it says here, it was to show his righteousness, so his justice, at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's a lot of theology in that, all really important. The basic idea, though, is in order for him to be just, he had to punish sin. But he loves us, and he wants us to be reconciled with him. And when we come to Him in faith, He provides a way because we put our faith in Him, we put our faith in Jesus, who is the one who receives our penalty in our place. And so His justice is executed on Jesus, God the Son, for our sake. And so that ties into why John is saying He is just, faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He can't help but be just and the punishment has already been paid in Jesus for you if you put your faith in Him. And so He's being just when we come to Him and say, forgive me. Because Jesus has already paid for that sin. And so His justice is consistent. So these things are really important to get, knowing God and knowing these things about Him, that He's light, that He's faithful, that He's just, is so important to understand in order to face and fix our sin. It goes on, describes Jesus, as, as it says in Romans, as the propitiation for our sins in chapter 2. It says, He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for, also for the sins of the whole world. That's a big word, propitiation. Uh, it basically is an offering given to satisfy an offense. To satisfy... Wrath, but, but just wrath. And an offense. So Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He went to the cross. He lived the righteous life that we failed to live. He went to the cross and offered that life in your place. To pay for your sins and to offer a righteous life as a substitute for yours. That's what propitiation means. And it's amazing to think about that. This is God himself in the flesh offering himself for you. The one who is holy and in whom there is no darkness at all took on your darkness on himself on the cross. All of it. All that you might know, all that you might not know, he took on himself and bore that on the cross and paid it in full. 
not only for you, but for the sins of the whole world, for any and all who would come to Him. He is the propitiation for our sins. That is the good news that He's paid for our sins. And we can face and fix our sin because of this, because Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but for the whole world. He is our advocate, it says. He is our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the the righteous. What's an advocate? An advocate is someone who speaks for us. That's what the word literally means. He's someone who speaks for us. We have an advocate who speaks for us. It's think of a of a lawyer who defends us as a as a champion who protects us. That's the idea. Jesus is our advocate who speaks for us. So when we sin, when we deal with sin, we have something better and stronger in God the Son, the advocate who speaks for us. So when our sins seem to overwhelm us, when the voices inside of us or outside of us condemn us, when the world tears us down with its confused and harmful standards, when we are discouraged, when all things seem dark, Jesus speaks a better, more powerful word over us through His death and resurrection. He says, forgiven. He says, justified. He says, clean. He says, beloved. He says, mine. He says, destined for holiness. He says, friend. He says, new creation. And many other things. He's our advocate who speaks for us. As we struggle with our sin and run to Him, He speaks a better word. That's what John is getting at here. We need to understand what it means to know God and what He's like so that we can face and fix our sin. Uh, The first house that Peg and I owned um, had a terrible surprise for us after we had been in there uh, a few months. Somehow the home inspector had overlooked the fact that the cast iron sewer pipes under the concrete skimmed floor were corroded and leaking. The house was 80 years old. And it, I guess, wasn't a problem as long as that glaze of concrete held. But eventually the pressure from the sewer pipes in the house burst through the concrete, and that was our terrible surprise. This new house with gray and black wastewater flooding our basement. You can imagine what it would be like. Maybe you've had a problem like that. It was overwhelming. Oh, no. We just bought this house, and there's sewage in our basement. How extensive is it? And, and, and we could have easily been overwhelmed, and we could have just said, well, let's just pour more concrete over it, cover it up, and somehow pretend it's not there. But fortunately, I knew that I had resources. I had, I believe, my do-it-yourself book at that point. I talked about last week. I had some know-how, and so I got in there and cut up, cut off the old cast iron pipe, put new PVC drain pipes in there, collected, co- connected flexible adapters, um, and we were, we were good. I knew I had resources that I could face and fix the overwhelming problem. That's what's going on here in this passage. John wants his readers, and God wants you to know that in him and who he is, and in knowing him, you have resources. So you needn't be overwhelmed. You needn't live in fear. You needn't try to cover up the catastrophe that's there. But you can face and fix it. So let me ask you, are you facing 
and in Jesus fixing your sin or trying to hide it or trying to skim coat over it or trying to pretend it's just not there. This passage is here for you to rescue you from that folly. It's a fool's errand to hide it and pretend it's not there. And that's what John gets into in this passage. He spends a good amount of this passage exposing the foolishness of denying the problem, the foolishness of failing to face our sin. He's writing this letter to a church that had a number of people in the church leave. And in the process of leaving, or why they left, was that they had created an alternative understanding of who Jesus is, an alternative understanding of what sin is. You see, they, like us, didn't like to face our sin. It's never pleasant. And they didn't want to face it, and so they invented a whole new perspective on things. And that perspective was foolishness and error. They didn't want to hear the whistleblower. They wanted to pretend that everything was fine and try to make it. And so John has no problem in addressing what they are thinking. So let's dig in and see. He, he has these statements in here, if this, then that. If this, then that. So he's describing, again, the, the negative situation, the wrong thinking, and then the right thinking. Um, so we're going to talk about the wrong thinking. That's where we face our sin. And so he says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You can't say that everything's fine with the Lord and I have fellowship with Him while you walk in darkness. You can't. Because He is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. So if you think you can walk in darkness and claim to be a follower of, of Christ, you're lying. You lie. And you're not practicing the truth. God is light. Now this doesn't mean, by the way, that you are someone who occasionally struggles with sin. Or you might slip up. Or even daily you have temptations that you give into in some way. This is someone who walks in darkness. So it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a consistent practice of giving in to sin. And walking in the darkness. And enjoying the darkness. And failing to come out of the darkness. But in, instead of coming out into the light, you are, you are harboring that sin. And you are nurturing that sin. And you are keeping that sin. Because you love that sin more than you love the light. That's what... John is getting at. And if you are doing that, he's, he's saying you, you're living a lie. You're not practicing the truth. So don't say you're following God when your sin is more important to you than your relationship with God and with His people. Don't say you know the God of light when you prefer to stay in the shade. You are doing falsehood and you are deceiving yourself. That's how it is. And it doesn't help to dance around this reality in your life and in our lives. To say you're a Christian and to love your sin more than you love God and others. Those who know God come to the light with their sin. We're going to see through this that John is in no way saying if you know God you don't sin. Matter of fact, if you say that, you're a liar is what he's saying. So, someone in the light still struggles with sin. But the difference is the person in the light comes into the light and stays in the light. They are open and honest with God and with trusted others about their struggles. They don't hide. They don't run to the darkness. They come into the light so they can expose it and experience healing and change. Isn't it so foolish that, that we hide our faults and problems and keep them to ourselves? Isn't that foolish? 
I had uh, I have a friend of mine who, uh, when he was young, he was playing with matches or a lighter, and he accidentally started a fire in his house. And instead of doing something about it, like running downstairs and telling everybody, pulling the fire alarm, he actually he was in his attic. He went downstairs and very nonchalantly sat down in the living room with the rest of his family and pretended like nothing was wrong. Now, thankfully, someone smelled smoke and they called the fire department and the house didn't burn down entirely and no one was hurt. But it's a picture of what we do in our sin when we don't come into the light. We think, I can just sit down in the living room and hope it goes away. And the house will burn down. That's what John's getting at. That's the truth we need to understand. Don't pretend there's not a problem. And don't think it's okay to stay in the darkness. Come into the light. He goes on to say, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is another aspect of the folly of, of the people that had left the church. They say we have no sin. So what they're saying is, no, 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 we just, no, I mean, you might be different, but I, I just don't have sin. I just, it's not in me. I'm a good person. God made me good, and I'm, there's no sin in me. I don't have a sinful nature. There's no brokenness. I'm basically a good person. That's the idea here. This, this falsehood that humanity is good in and of itself. The reality is that humanity is not good. Humanity was created good. Humanity is made in the image of God. So there is good in us. It's not that we're entirely evil. We, there is good in us. But there's a brokenness. There's a fallen nature in all of us. And so it's not just that we commit sins. We actually have sin. We have a sinful nature. It's part of who we are. That's what they were denying. That's what John's getting at saying. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We are in this fallen state. We are thoroughly polluted by sin. We're like a glass of pure water. We're made in the image of God originally, and we are pure water, but we are contaminated now by mud. That's like sin. The glass is not entirely mud. We're not entirely evil. We're, we're, the image of God is there, but we're entirely polluted with sin because no matter what, you don't want to drink that glass of water. It's not fit for drinking. It may only have a little mud. Some of us are better than others. Some of us only have a tiny little bit of mud in the glass. Others have a lot more mud. None of us are all mud. Thank God. But that's the reality. That's the truth that John's getting at. That's what Scripture teaches us. And so to deny this is to deceive ourselves. Embrace a falsehood instead. We've been corrupted. Now, we don't like this. And the reality is that individually we don't like it. And there are systems set up in philosophies that don't like this as well. And there's plenty out there to tell us otherwise. To deny this truth. To basically say we don't have sin. But John says if that's the case we deceive ourselves. It just isn't true. It's a lie. We must understand as, as, as bad as it is, we have sin. The O-rings are not working. The ship's going to blow apart. That's the reality. We don't want to hear the whistleblower. We want to pretend everything's all good. But you know what? There'll be consequences. There'll be catastrophe from this. So John is coming hard after this for us. Well, he goes on in verse 10 to address something similar. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So there's a, a difference here. He's 
not saying if we say we have no sin, that it's not in us. Now he's saying if we say we've not sinned. So you could say, well, yeah, I know we're broken, but I've been, I've been doing really well for a long time. I've just I've got into this higher state. You know, now that I understand these special things about God that you need to know if you want to be where I am, you can actually live without sinning. That's what, that's what he's addressing. Those who would say, I have not sinned. There's no sin. I'm, I've reached sinless perfection and I'm in this state now. And it's really good. And let me tell you the secret knowledge that you need to know so you too can be perfect as well. That's what John's getting after. And if you say that, we have not sinned, we make God a liar. His word is not in us. Ultimately, if we say we have not sinned, we don't have a problem with sin, we're, we're making God a liar. And how does that, why is that true? Well, think of it. God has sent His own Son. Jesus took on flesh. God, he became a man. And He lived a righteous life. He lived this perfect, glorious life. And then He sacrificed that life on the cross for what reason? Your sin. Because He loved you so much. He wanted to rescue you from it and bring forgiveness and new life. And so if you're saying, well, doesn't, I don't need that, actually. I'm doing pretty well. I don't need Jesus to have died for me. We're basically telling him, well, God, you know, sorry, uh, I mean, I know like Jesus did that, and I really appreciate all that, but I don't, I mean, I, I'm good. I don't really need that. So, sorry about that. Maybe I should have told you earlier. Um, that's the idea here, is that if you're saying, I haven't sinned, I have no need for a Savior, you're making God a liar. God, God has given His Son so he could rescue you from your sin because sin is a problem. And you're saying, no, it isn't a problem. You're contradicting God himself. And you're contradicting the gospel in the word. We're saying no. And, and we need to recognize that these things are not just in the people that left this church that John's addressing, but they're in all of us. We don't like to say we've sinned. We don't like to admit it, but, but it's a falsehood. It's fantasy. I, I don't know if you've seen the viral video that was uh, circulating a, a few years ago of um, two-year-old Noel Hopkins. Um, it's a, if you see the video, it's a cute uh, little bispectral boy against a mirror. With, uh, the mirror is all marked up with crayons. and he's, His back is to the mirror. His mom comes in and says, Noel, who drew on mommy's mirror? And, uh, and she says, was it you? And, and, uh, and without missing, first he says, actually, I don't know. And then, and then she says, was it you? And he says, nope, looks at his mom, and, and then she said, well, who was it? And he comes up with the quickest, best reply for a two-year-old. He says, it's Batman. <laughs> it's Batman. And he goes on, actually, she really? Was it? Was it you? No, nope, it's Batman. It's Batman. Well, guys, you and I are like Noel, and we say, it's Batman. It's not me. It's something else. It's society. It's this thing, or whatever. I wasn't feeling well today, or whatever we might say. We, we deny this reality. Deny that there's sin in us and that we have sinned. And God calls us to face the reality, to face our sin. How? How can we do this? We can only do it if we're standing on who God is, and His goodness, and His mercy, and His love, and His righteousness. And the fact is that He is light, and He says, now come into the light. You don't have to hide. I have a provision for you. There's an advocate for you to face your sin and find forgiveness. 
And so come into the light and let the blood of Jesus cleanse you from all your sin. And that is addressing the final point of fixing our sin. He says in verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all our sin. So what do we do? We come to the light. We're honest with our sin. And the blood of His Son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. It wipes away the stain. It makes us clean. We're forgiven. Verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and and." Purify us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. And so we come into the light alongside many others. We have, in the light, we have fellowship with God and with one another. But who's in the light? Perfect people who don't sin? Who's in the light that God provides? Fellow sinners. Fellow sinners who struggle who are honest about their faults, who realize they need God's rescue, who don't blame Batman, but are honest, who confess their sins. It's interesting to see that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just uh, to forgive us our sins. There's all these if statements here. Paul, um, John's not using these if statements like kind of a contract sort of thing, right? He's not saying, if you confess your sins, I have this special confession, and if you say it just right, then I'll forgive you. That's not how the the if-then statements used here. It's more of a lifestyle. If this is your lifestyle, then this is true in that lifestyle. Okay, that's important to understand, and that's uh, the way the, the verbs are used and so forth. They're present verbs. So if you are confessing your sins, if you are one who keeps on confessing your sins, he is faithful and just to keep on forgiving you and cleansing you. You live in that. So a lifestyle of confession equates with a lifestyle of, of forgiveness and being purified. That's what John's saying. That's how those if-then statements work here. And so we are those that confess our sin. That's, that's just saying we're those who are honest. And if you're a Christian, if you've professed your faith, you've been baptized, you're basically in all that. If you're here taking communion today, worshiping with us today, you're, you are confessing your sins. You're saying, yes, I believe it's true. I affirm this. I'm a sinner who needs grace. And I want to walk in the light. I want to be honest. It's important to get to that the confession is not just a confession like me and God. Like, well, yeah, I told the Lord I was sorry for that one. That's important. That's really important. That's the center of things. But he's talking about being in the light with others. It's fellowshipping with others. So we are not only honest with God, we're honest with one another. We confess our sins to one another. Now, that doesn't mean that you confess everything to everybody. Imagine if we were going to do that today. Uh, after, the, after the message, we're going to line up and everyone's going to confess everything to everybody. We'd be here a long time um, and it wouldn't be helpful. Um, but I, don't, I think as a believer, we need to, to be open with who we are with trusted people. And I, I would say pro- there shouldn't be any particular sin or struggle that somebody doesn't know about. Someone who's trusted. That's what it means to walk in the light. So if you're hiding your sin, particularly for the sins that dog us regularly. If you're hiding those sins, you're going to tend to go to the darkness. And the call here is bring it to the light. Find someone you can trust to pray together, to be honest with that, and live in the light together. And remind each other that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. 
They don't fail in that time of confession and praying together to remind each other the blood of Jesus cleanses. You are forgiven. You are loved. And He wants you to continue in the light. One further point that John makes that I think is important to hit on. In verse 1 of chapter 2, and the, and the way that it's divided in our Bibles is, is probably not the best because 5 through uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2 go together. But he changes, John changes how he addresses things rather than saying, if then. Now he says, my little children. So he, he's using a term of endearment, my little children. Um, and just as we would when we want to get someone's attention. Right, if you want to say something to your child, perhaps, or somebody, you know, sweetheart, it's all right. Dad will take care of that. Don't worry. So, so he's using a, t- a term of endearment to get their attention. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What, why is he doing that all of a sudden? Well, he's been talking about for the believer who comes into the light, there's forgiveness. So let's be honest. Let's be humble. Let's recognize that we're that we're sinners who fall short and there's provision for us. And if we really get that, we might actually think, well, it doesn't really matter then. You know, I can just do whatever I want. Right? Because there's forgiveness. So I can go crazy on Friday night and Saturday night and then come to church on Sunday and just confess. I'm sorry, I did it, did it again. And back in the light and I'm okay. And so John's saying, my little children, I'm, I'm writing these things. I don't want you to sin. I want you to understand grace. I don't want you to sin. But if you do sin and as you... And the reality is you will. That's what he's been saying. We have an advocate. We have all this. But I'm writing so that you won't sin. And so you're going to see John develop that later on. In chapter 5, verse 18, for example. Uh, he, he says, where is that? He says, um, well, I'm just looking at my Bible. don't know where it is on my notes. But I know where it is in my Bible. Verse 18, chapter 5. He says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Whoa, that seems like, wait a second, John. Do we sin or do we not sin? What do you you mean? So he's saying the one who's born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Well, he's not saying here that you don't sin. You don't keep on sinning. Because you're born of God. And you belong to Him. There's new life in you. There's a difference. So we t- I talked about earlier the reality that we have sin. There's his fallen nature. But for the believer, when you come to Jesus, you belong to him. You're united with him. You have a new nature in you. You're born of God. You're regenerated in the Holy Spirit. And now in you is this power to say no to sin. And particularly as you come into the light and confess and receive and live in that forgiveness and live in fellowship with one another, you'll overcome your sin. And you won't keep on sinning. That's what he's saying here. I, I write these things so that you won't keep on sinning. But, as we do, we must remember, we have an advocate. We have Jesus, the propitiation for our sin. This is wonderful good news for us. Our biggest problem in life is our sin before God. And we have forgiveness in, in Jesus. We have the power to face and fix our problem. We can face it. I think of those that I've known who have overcome um, serious illness. Those who have been able to beat cancer. I know uh, two people who've been in accidents, were essentially dead, and are alive now and fine. And I can think for them, as you talk to them, it's just like, wow. It's a second chance at life, in a sense. They've been through this thing, and they've overcome it. Well, our biggest problem is not cancer, or heart attacks, or all these things. 
Our biggest problem is our sin. And in Jesus, knowing God, truly knowing God, we can face it and fix it and live this new life in Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for this wonderful truth and this radical life that we can live unafraid to face our sin because in You, we have everything we need to fix our sin and to live in the light. I pray, Lord, You would strengthen us and encourage each one of us to come into the light regularly, to live in the light, to come out of the darkness. And that as we do that, Lord, we would enjoy love and new life in You and becoming more and more like You, Jesus. We thank You so much and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.